The Apostle Paul says, For in hope we were saved. For in hope we were saved. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Paul writes to the church in Rome, all of creation is groaning. All of creation is groaning. And I wonder, how can we put those words into images? How can we know what it looks like when all of creation is groaning? On Monday, 60 Palestinians were shot and killed, and another 2,700 others were shot and injured during protests at the border with Israel. 60 killed, 2,700 injured. Some of those killed and injured were individuals from aid agencies who were providing medical care to the protesters. Some of those injured and killed were children. On Friday morning, a 17-year-old walked into a high school in Texas and he shot and killed nine students and one teacher and shot another ten more. So we know that the whole creation has been groaning. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly while we wait for the world to change. Perhaps in a world like ours, in a time like ours, in a week like ours, all we can muster is a groan, a sigh with really dim hope. Because we live, as many have noted, in this new strange time of perpetual amnesia. We know so much about the world and how broken it is and forever will be, it seems, that we are bombarded with story after story to such a degree that we can barely remember what happened a year ago. We can barely remember what happened a month ago. We can barely remember what happened a week ago. Our televisions and our newspapers and our timelines are filled with such tragic stories over and over, and we just move from one to the next. And so if we find ourselves groaning and moaning and sighing and crying, then we are on the right path. Because if we are moaning and groaning and sighing and crying, we are desiring a better tomorrow. We want a world that does not look like this one. We yearn for what has been promised to us in faith, but do not yet see. Because all of creation is groaning. The Apostle Paul is right to name and claim our salvation. But he says we are saved in the hope of redemption. We live in the light of God's good promise. However, we do not yet live in the fulfillment of that promise. We are people who are waiting while we're groaning. Like pilgrims in the midst of a great journey or a woman anticipating her baby's due date, we are not yet at the goal. And Paul is brazen enough to tell us that while we wait, we do so with patience. Paul loves to do this kind of stuff. He loves navigating these confusing contours of the now and the not yet. He likes to dance between the present time and the time when all things will be conquered by God. But most of us, if not all of us, are not like Paul. We don't want to wait with patience. Rather than enduring the days at hand with patience, we want to see change here and now. We are not the backseat Christians who willingly accept the status quo. No, when we see and feel the groans of the world, we want it to stop. 
and we want it to stop now. There are plenty of Christians in this world who sort of exist on two opposite sides of the spectrum. Some sit back and wait without a care or a concern for how things currently are because one day, whenever that might be, God will fix everything. And for as much as that is true, these people, these Christians, are like those who see a building on fire and instead of reaching for a bucket to do something about it, they say, it must be God's will. And then there are others on the other side who, did, who are in denial of present sufferings and who are utterly convinced that if they only prayed harder, that God would make them healthy and wealthy. This is called the Joel Osteen Church. These people might receive a horrible diagnosis or they might lose their employment, but they believe and they are told that God is waiting for them to pray the right prayer. And that when they finally pray the right prayer, God will heal them from their illness and God will give them a more lucrative career. But other Christians, perhaps people like us, we find ourselves in the middle. We know that it is no comfort to deny present sufferings. And we also know that it's not comforting to focus all of our energy on the future in a time when God will fix everything in a jiffy. We know that reflections on the future must be, at times, postponed. Because it's not the future that commands our attention, but the present. And that's, that is at the crux of this passage from Romans. We focus our focus on the present. Not as a denial of the future, but precisely because we know that we don't know what the future holds. One thing we do know is that all things perish. We've seen it happen too many times. Every day we turn on the television, we are reminded that nothing lasts forever. Except for the cross of Jesus Christ. This cross that stands in the midst of this lonely and broken world, it is the sign of hope. Because our cross is empty. Because when we look at this empty cross, we know that the grave is empty too. Easter, it boldly proclaims that at the end of possibilities, God does a new thing. God brings Jesus back to life. Pentecost, 50 days later, it shows us how we take the first steps. Because today, of course, is Pentecost. It's the celebration we have. Everything is red and yellow. We have our flames to remember the gift of the Holy Spirit to those disciples long ago. Because for the first 40 days after Easter... The risen Lord, the risen Jesus, was with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. And after 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. One of the things we don't talk about is the disciples had to wait another 10 days before the Holy Spirit showed up. So imagine, if you can, though it's very difficult, what it must have been like to wait. To not only see Jesus, lose Jesus, and see him again, to only lose him again and not know what's going to happen next. Imagine, if you can, trying to wait patiently with hope after seeing him disappear yet again. Not knowing what could possibly happen. And then the book of Acts tells us that on the day of Pentecost, ten days after Jesus ascended, all of the disciples, like you, were in one place. And suddenly there was the sound of a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire place where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. And the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in other languages. 
It says that they immediately went forth from that place, proclaiming the good news to all with ears to hear. And on that day, the Lord added 3,000 to their number. And they devoted themselves to the scriptures and to prayer and being together. The beginning of the church. Many of us today would love to see the Spirit manifest itself like it did long ago for the disciples on Pentecost. We want signs. We want miracles. We want power and majesty. We want this sanctuary windswept with fire for the Lord. But like the readers of Romans, we may not receive the signs we so desperately desire because hope that is seen is a limited kind of hope. Because if we can see what we want, it is certain to be limited to what we can now behold. Do you think the disciples were yearning for the Spirit to give them the ability to speak in other languages? Do you think that they prayed night after night for the Spirit to fall upon them like blazing fire? Do you think that Pentecost is what they hoped for? Those disciples had no idea what they were in for. There's no way they could have possibly imagined that after ten days of waiting, that a Holy Spirit would come. There's no way they could have known that the Spirit would have arrived in a dramatic way with wind and fire. There's no way they could have predicted that their lives would forever be turned upside down because of this moment. Something greater was in store for the disciples. Greater things were yet to come. And that same thing holds true for us. Greater things are yet to come. Paul is convinced in his letter to the church in Rome that the Spirit does miraculous things. And he was not even there on the day of Pentecost. He didn't see those flames. He didn't feel that wind. But he believed that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He says that we don't know how to pray. But the Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And I love that. I love that. There's something majestically powerful in being reminded that even when we cannot find the right words, the Spirit is with us in our sides. Because how in the world could we possibly pray in the right way for those who live on the border between Israel and Palestine? What kind of words could we utter to make sense of parents discovering that their children were murdered by a gunman who entered their school? There are no words for those things. There are no words, short of deep groans made by the entire cosmos. There are no words for that kind of suffering. And yet, Paul and we have hope. Not a blind and foolish hope, but a deeply rooted hope in the one who came to live and die and live again. We have a hope, like the early disciples, that what we see and hear and experience now is not the end. And we also believe, at the same time, the Spirit is with us, giving us the strength not only to yearn for a better world, but also to actually do something about it. Because that's the thing about hope. Hope is meaningless if it just stays in your heart and in your head. Hope is only hope if it moves us toward transformation. Our hope, our hope is for a world that we cannot yet imagine. It is like a fire. It warms the soul and it lights our path. When the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the disciples, it was like a fire and it spread in wild and unpredictable ways. Those first followers of Jesus, they were persecuted and killed for their faith, but they are the ones who are responsible for us having heard the word at all. They were so on fire for their hope in the Lord 
that they went beyond what they could see and know. And they did it with patience, believing deep in their bones that the world would change. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, once very famously said, if you light yourself on fire, people will come from miles to watch you burn. That's the kind of fire that changes the world. When I was growing up, I did not have the good fortune or the good pleasure of growing up with Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood. But do you all know Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? Mr. Rogers, who would enter into the scene every day, opening the door. Oh, hello. It's nice to see you. He'd go over to the closet, and he'd get his little sweater on, and he'd zip it up, and he would talk to you like you were in his home. And he would share with you thoughts and ideas and dreams about the world. He would encourage everyone who watched to imagine, to think of a different world. When you watch it today, it's still just as profound and beautiful as it was then. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. In 1969, there was an episode on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood where he entered into the house, he opened the door, but instead of going for his sweater like he always did, he made a comment to the viewer about how hot it was outside and how badly he wished he could just cool down his feet in the pool. And so he said, you know, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he walked outside of his house, and there was a little kiddie pool, a plastic blue pool set up on the side yard. And he took off his shoes, he took off his socks, he rolled up his pant legs, and he rested his feet in the water. And he got the hose, and he started spraying his warm feet. And he just sat there talking to the viewer. And then Officer Clemens walked in. Officer Clemens was a black policeman. Mr. Rogers said hi to Officer Clemens, and Officer Clemens made a remark about how hot it was outside. Mr. Rogers said, well, why don't you come join me in the pool? Rest your feet for a little while. The water is fine. And so Officer Clemens sat down next to Mr. Rogers. He took off his shoes, took off his socks, he rolled up his pant legs, and he put his feet in the water. And Mr. Rogers took the hose and he washed his feet. And they sat there and they had a conversation. Now some of you are wondering, why in the world am I telling you this story? Who cares about two men washing their feet in a little kiddie pool? But my friends, the year was 1969. And for those of us who cannot remember, in the 60s, in many places, it was forbidden for people to swim in a pool with those of a different race. In fact, many public pools had pool sort of managers and operators who, when they saw black and white bodies in a pool, they would throw acid into the water to burn for having the gall to swim with someone who looked different from them. And so you know what Mr. Rogers did? He put a pool in his neighborhood. And he said to Mr. Or Officer Clemens, why don't you come rest your feet in the water with me? And if you watch the tape from 1969, the camera zooms in on her feet for like 10 seconds. It's painfully long, and all you can see is a pair of white feet, and a pair of black feet in the water together. And that silent image is like Mr. Rogers, quaint and quiet Presbyterian Mr. Rogers. It's like he's screaming at you, the world has to change. Yes. 1969. There's no way Mr. Rogers could have possibly known that the world would look like it does today. It has changed tremendously. However, 
if he were still alive, I think he'd still be a little disappointed. Because we might be able to swim together, thanks be to God, but we still live in a pretty broken world. But that's the thing about hope. It's hope in small, incremental ways. Hope for a world you cannot yet even possibly imagine. But without those acts of hope, without sitting in a pool with your water, with your feet in the water, the world will stay the same. If you light yourself on fire, people will come from miles to watch you burn. There is a reason that Mr. Rogers was on television from the 60s until 2001. There is a reason the world doesn't look like it did when he started. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. The Holy Spirit is poured out on us each and every day. The Spirit moves in crazy and unbelievable ways, trying to make the world different than it is right now. The question for us is, are we going to have a part in it? Are we going to put our feet in the water? I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Would you all please bow your heads and join me in prayer? Oh Lord, we are grateful for a sign as simple as a little kitty pool and two men resting their feet in the water. We are thankful for a church that does not look like the brokenness of the world, but looks like what your kingdom has been promised to look like. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the person to our left and the person to our right. We thank you, O oh Lord, for gathering us here in worship, and we thank you, O oh Lord, for being present with us as we break bread following this service. Because, O oh Lord, you have given us hope. Hope for a world we cannot yet imagine, but a world that we get to help make manifest. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.